Good morning. I know you guys had some of that music playing on your way to church this morning. You know, driving down the road. I know, I know. You know, last week, um, and maybe we can turn the house lights up a little. Last week, uh, somebody came up to me after the first service and, and, and said, hey, uh, maybe I'll buy you a tie to go with that suit coat. You can be a real pastor. Um, <laughs> that was a true story. And uh, it's, it's all good. I just want you to know, like, I just want to, like, clear things up ahead of time. Like, don't get your hopes up, okay? I have, like, 20 ties at home. Like, it's not that I don't own any. Uh, but, uh, no, it's funny. Because I actually kind of wear this when it starts to get cold because I'm cold. That's why I wear it. You guys all think it's like I'm dressing up for church, but not really. I'm just cold. So anyways, um, it's good to see you guys this morning. We're going to continue our series, our one series, and we, we started out with our, our first um, message was Love One. Um, our second message was One Mission. Today is One Church, and so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. So grab your Bibles and open them up. And uh, we're going we're gonna to be there. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to grab your phone, download version or some other Bible app. Uh, and we, generally speaking, uh, use the NIV on Sunday mornings. Uh, it's a little easier to follow along if you're in the same version. But if you have a preference that you want to follow along in something else, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, but let's, let's pray before we dig into God's Word this morning. Dear God, thank you so much. You're so gracious and, and good to us and Uh, Lord, we gather together to sing songs to you, to praise you, to worship you, to lift our hands, Lord, to applaud you. Um, We are privileged to be able to gather, to read your word, to have it in front of us. And Lord, we thank you for uh, Paul and his writing to the church in Colossae. And and Lord, as, as we look into that this morning, what the church is, what that means for us, I pray that you would help us in our minds, that your spirit would empower our minds to understand well and empower our hearts to embrace it. I pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Is it true that people are less and less likely to have an affiliation with the church? Don't answer out loud. I just want you to think about it. That people are less and less likely to have an affiliation with any kind of religion or church. In recent years, there have been books, there have been articles, there have been podcasts recorded, documentaries done. A lot of ink has been spilled and in reporting that especially the millennial generation, but all generations really, especially in our country, are are wandering from faith and religion of all kinds. The picture has in many ways been painted that people don't want to have anything to do with things that are spiritual. But is it true? As a matter of fact, these uh, particular people have a nickname, if you will. Um, They're often called the nuns. And you might be thinking, why would they call them the nuns? And that's because you're thinking about women who have devoted their lives in a convent. That's not what it means. It's N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. The nuns. In other words, when these people take a survey or they're asked, and, and you know, what is your religious affiliation? They will, they will check the box that says none. And so they just call them the nuns. This group of people that is growing and, and, and everybody's saying that, that pretty soon it's going to be gigantic and huge and all of these things. And, and they, are, they are people that would say they have no affiliation with any kind of religious faith at all. These are all kinds of questions. Like, have these people who would, who would check the, the nun box, have they given up on things that are spiritual? Have they just decided, if something's spiritual, I, I, I don't... I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm just not in, in search of that. It's not important in my life. Or have these people decided that the material world is all that there is? 
Have they decided that whatever purpose they make up for their life is the only purpose that they need? Is this a denial of the existence of anything that is non-material? There's many other questions, of course, as well. And there could be all kinds of, of questions, but we should be careful not to misread what this means. I think sometimes we see statistics like that, and quite frankly, a lot of pastors will get up and, and use these to, to scare people. I don't, want, I don't want you to be scared, because we have not been given a spirit of fear, right? And so we should not be scared. But Harvard Divinity School did a study looking at religion and how people gather, and it was especially focused on millennials. And Tom Lehman um, opens his report and says this, instead of worshiping in old wooden church pews, millennials are jumping on top of wooden boxes until exhaustion at CrossFit affiliates. And it's not just to replace a trip to church with a workout. And then they, and then they go on to say that they found they are joining secular organizations that blend a sense of community, a sense of self-awareness, and dare I say it, a resemblance of religion. In other words, it's not that people are running around and, and saying, I, I don't want anything spiritual in my life. The reality is they, they certainly do. And we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, that, that there is a sense, something within our hearts that makes us want to seek that which transcends the, this physical realm that we live in at this time. People are looking in all kinds of places for that thing that transcends. And many go to workout places, cross, CrossFit gyms or, or whatever it is, things like that. As a matter of fact, there's even ministries I know of that started CrossFit gyms with the express purpose of, of doing discipleship in their gym because they understood and they know that this is one of the places that people will go to fulfill a spiritual need. And it sounds kind of funny to many of you, I'm sure. But it's true. In reality, in reality none of the, the places they might look can offer what the church offers. But in order to understand that, we need to know what the church is. We say things like, we're going to church. Or, or, or did you go to church last week? Or, you know, oftentimes I'll tell my wife, hey, I'm stopping by church on my way home. Uh, you know, if I'm somewhere else, I need to pick something up here. Or, or hey, I'm going to church tonight, right? We, we use that, that word all the time. Because we... we Take the word, and I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't. It's just what we do. It's how we describe this particular building where we meet together to sing praises to God. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes in the midst of all of that, when we say church, we kind of define it as a place or something we do on the weekends, on Sunday nights, or maybe something that we do on Thursday nights when we come here. Church is this word that we use for very specific things. And I'm not suggesting we change the language. I wouldn't even know how to suggest we should change it. But I am suggesting that maybe we take some time this morning to think about what exactly is the church and what does that mean for you and for me? Because we all know, we've heard it a thousand times probably, the church is not a building. The church really isn't the chairs you sit in. It's not even necessarily what we're doing this morning, although we're certainly doing an aspect of church, a part of church. It's so much more than that. But as we begin to think about the church, the first thing that we need to recognize and to realize is this. The church belongs to Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. Here's, here's, here's what we sometimes confuse, right? We even use the language, right? At my church, we... Wait, at whose church? 
right? We do it all the time. And I'm not, again, I'm not suggesting that we change the language because we're identifying with the particular congregation that we meet with to express certain things as a church should, as we worship and as we, as we take communion and as we uh, love one another, as we meet in small groups. That, that's all good. But we ought not confuse that reference to my church with the actual belief that I own the church, right? And so much of the time, we do that in a multitude of ways. The church belongs to Jesus. Colossians chapter 1. We'll be in Colossians 3 mostly, but I wanted to go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, where it says this. And he, referencing Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. In Colossians 1, he's talking about how all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus, and, and he holds all things together. And then there's this one phrase, and, and he is the head of the body, the church. He, Jesus, the eternal divine son of God, who was there in the beginning, who, who created the heavens with, with the Father and with the Holy Spirit and created the earth and created all that is, and it was all created for him. He owns the church. It's his church. He sits at the top of it. The church belongs to Jesus. If we turn back to Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ Listen to this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. See, here's the thing. When, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did, the eternal divine son of God who came down and took on human flesh, he went to the cross. He satisfied God's wrath. He satisfied God's justice. He showed us grace and mercy. And he went to the grave and he rose from the dead. And he sits at the right hand of the Father, but one day he will return. And when we believe in that Jesus, when we commit our life to that Jesus, we become part of the church. We become one with Jesus, right? As Paul, as Paul says in, the, in this text, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, did you hear that? Christ is your life. Christ isn't like your life. He's not something in your life. He's not something even that you occasionally give, give thought to in your life. The text says, Christ is your life. Your very life is found in Jesus Christ. When you put your faith and trust in him, you are united with him. You are one with him. And then verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you will also appear with him in glory. We'll be with him in glory. This is the church. You have died with Christ. If you go back and you read Colossians chapter 2, and, and even in this text that we're looking at today, there's this idea we die, and we, and we die to everything of this world, right? All the things of this world, we die to that, and when we die to that, we get new life. And that's what happened with Jesus, right? He died, and he had new life. He, was risen, he rose again. We identify with Jesus in that. 
Now, here's the thing. A lot of you have jobs and careers and, and hobbies and, and all kinds of things, and, and you should, and, and that's all good. But sometimes we think that our career is life. Sometimes we think that our children are our life. Moms especially, but dads too, right? We think our family is our life. And you're saying, whoa, hang on a second here, John. You're like, you're like talking about like spouses and family and kids, like they're not important. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a prioritization that takes place in our life. And if we put the wrong, if we put anything, really, above our commitment to Jesus Christ, then that thing becomes the thing we worship. God gave us our children as a blessing to love and to bring up and to, and to do so in a God-honoring, glorifying way, to, to, to cherish them and, and all of those things. But when we put our children above Jesus, then we're worshiping them and they become an idol. When you put our spouse above Jesus, then we're worshiping our spouse and they become an idol. When we put our career above Jesus, then we're worshiping our career, and our career becomes our idol. When we put our investments, our bank account, our college life, our whatever it is, when we put anything above Jesus, that's the thing that we end up worshiping, and that's a problem. It's not how God designed it to be. We're to worship Him and Him alone. Since we have died with Christ to the things of this world, and the rules of this world, but we have been raised again with Christ, and we look forward to an eternity with him in the new heavens and the new earth. This is an already not yet kind of thing. You know, what What do you mean already not yet? Here's what I mean by that. It's a phrase that sometimes we use, especially when we talk about things in scripture that have taken place and have an impact now, but haven't been brought to, to their complete fruition, right? Like, they haven't completely shown themselves. Like, we have eternal life with God, and we can look forward to that for eternity, but we are not yet in the new heavens and the new earth. We still live in this world, right? We have been made righteous before God, but we haven't stood before God in judgment yet. That will come. And when we do, if we know Jesus and love Jesus, then God's going to go, you are righteous, you have been justified, welcome. But it hasn't taken place yet but it's been established in the cross in the resurrection right so it's an already not yet kind of thing and that's what we talk about when we use that phrase this is an already not yet kind of thing the church is an already not yet kind of thing it is it is a presentation in some sense of the kingdom of god and yet there is a time and a place where there will be a new heavens and a new earth for eternity and we will look forward and jesus will reign and it will be completely different You've been raised with Christ, but that has not been brought to its full fruition. The church is founded on the reality of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrections. As a matter of fact, if you go to Ephesians 2, when it talks about, uh, talks about Jesus as, as the cornerstone. You know, if we, as you think about your spiritual life, and I think this is often what people are missing, because there's been this kind of reaction to um, organized religion, you know, it's, people will say all the time, like, you know, I, I, I'm spiritual. I just don't like organized religion. And I always think that's kind of humorous because in my head I always say, I don't say it out loud, but <laughs> I always say, oh, so you like unorganized religion. 
That makes sense. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> right? But there is kind of this reaction, and oftentimes it's a reaction to some experience or, or, or something like that. As a matter of fact, you know, we've been talking about inviting people, and, and, and I still have uh, this guy's name up on the cross, but I invited one of my people, and, um, and uh, he was, he's kind of, he has one of those things, it's like he doesn't like organized religion. You know, he has views about the church, he has views about Christians, and, and we've had some conversations about that, and, and the other day I, I went up to him and I said, hey, uh, and I, I kind of know some of his background and some of his views, and we're friends and all that kind of stuff. And so I just said, hey, I'll, do you think about going to church with me? He just goes, nope. I said, all right. Just thought I'd ask. He goes, yeah, I figured you'd ask me eventually. <laughs> I said, okay. Love you, brother. Okay. Kind of move on, right? No big deal. We're still buds. We're still friends, all that kind of stuff. And, but he has a reaction to organized religion. He has some background with the church, and, and he's kind of been burned. And, and so he kind of does, he's like, and he even said to me, he goes, I know not all churches are the same, man, but I've just been burned. I don't want to go back. It's unfortunate, but you know what? I'm leaving his name up there. I'm going to still pray for him, and I hope that you are doing that for your five or six people that you're going to be inviting as well. Jesus is the cornerstone, but here's the thing. The church will continue to exist without me and without you. But it cannot continue to exist without Jesus. There is no church without Jesus. If you take Jesus out of the equation, we're just a bunch of weird people who get together and sing weird songs on Sunday mornings. If there is no Jesus, if there is no death, if there is no resurrection, there is no church. So what is the church? The church is Jesus. It's found in the person of Jesus. It's his church. We just have the privilege of being part of it. We need to recognize that. Well, the church belongs to Jesus. And, 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 and Paul tells us actually that the church in Colossae was being threatened by false teachings of different kinds. Right? Right? And, and, and Christ is our life, and we will appear with him in glory, and we are united with Christ as his church. This is what's cool about, you know, uh, um, what I say? It's October 25th, right? Yeah, October 25th, when, when we're doing the prayer concert, and, and, and we're getting together with other churches, right? But really, they're not other churches. Why? Because how many churches are there? One. There's one church, Everybody who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who believes that God sent his only son, that he's the divine eternal son of God, that he took on human flesh, that he went to the cross, that he died, that he rose again, that he's coming again. Everybody who believes in that is part of the church. Everybody. There's one church. And we get arrogant and prideful sometimes, and we think we look down on other churches. That's a sin. But when we pray for other churches... That glorifies and honors God. But it's true that Jesus owns the church. He's the head of the church, however you want to think about it. It's his church. But what is the church? And the answer is this. You are the church. I'm the church. You are the church. Church isn't a place we go on Sunday mornings, right? It's not just a place we sing songs in. It is. It's refreshing, I hope. I, you know, I don't know what kind of music you, you all listen to, but, um, but you know, sometimes... Like, I, I listen to country sometimes. Anybody, anybody listen to country sometimes? Come on, be honest. Yeah, some of you were like, like, I listen to country. I want you to know, like, country is one of the most mis, mi, uh, listened to 
uh, styles of music in, in the country, it, it, in the whole, it is. I, I don't know what's first, but country's like number two or something like that. And Blake Shelton is, kills it every season on The, on the Voice. So, uh, but no, it's, you know what, you listen to country, how, how many of y'all listen to like some hard rock? Come on, be honest, it's okay. Yeah, some of you guys listen to hard, some hard rock. Like how many of y'all, you know, is it possible that when driving down the road, you might be seen going like this? Come on, raise your hand. Yeah, right? Okay, and then, and then so how many of y'all, just, I'm not going to ask this question, but I bet if I asked this question, y'all were honest. I said, how many of you, your favorite kind of music, the only thing you ever listen to is worship music? And, and, and there's a couple of you, yeah, this, you go, ah, oh, yeah, it's, here's, can, can I just be honest with you? I don't come to church because I love the music. Now, I don't not love, I love, I love the music, Johnny, okay? <laughs> you got to be careful with Johnny. He's sensitive, so um, I do. I, I, I love, but you know what I love more than the music here? I love standing next to my brothers and sisters in Christ and proclaiming the greatness of God. It's a good thing. It's a God-honoring thing. It isn't about whether you, this is your favorite kind of music. It's not even about whether I'm your favorite preacher, although I know I am. Um, it's not even about that, right? Like you can honestly listen to preaching all day long, every day, you know, every waking hour you get enough podcasts because every preacher in the country practically has, has their own, you know, RSS feed that's on websites and podcasts and things like that. Like you can listen to preaching. Why do we come here to listen to preaching? It isn't because I'm amazing. It's because we stand shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters in Christ and we're on this journey together because you and I are the church and we need each other. That's why we do this. Verse 11 of Colossians chapter 3. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in what? All. Therefore, as God's what? Chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Colossus, I was a a town that had, uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was a mixed, uh, ethnically mixed, we'll just put it that way. There's plenty of Gentiles and, and, and probably more Gentiles than there were Jews, but there were some Jews and, and, and the church there would have both in its congregation. In other words, Paul comes to Colossae and says, look, you know, we, we need to fight these false teachings that are out there because they were facing basically two kinds of false teachings. They had the paganism and some of that that was, that was uh, threatening the church and and, and, and then on the one side, and that would come from, from, generally speaking, Gentiles and things like that. And then on the Jewish side, side they had this kind of legalism, this law-oriented uh, uh, approach to faith. And, you know, basically saying, you got to be circumcised, you got to follow the law, and all these things. And so there is these kind of two competing uh, false teachings, these heresies that were threatening the church. And so here comes Paul, the Jew of Jews, by the way. And he, and he says, he says, look, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. He starts to break down the barriers right then and there, right? There's no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And he, and he goes on. Here's the point. The church is filled with God's chosen people. It doesn't matter what their background is. 
It's not even just, it's not just about their ethnicity. It's about whether they're a slave or free, whether they, whether they follow the law or they don't follow the law. That's not the point. The point is Jesus. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation of the church. The church is his. And without Jesus, there is no church. But the church is you and me. We are the church if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read it one more time because I think it is so key. Verse 11, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is all. The church doesn't check your ethnic background. The church doesn't check your political affiliation. The church doesn't check to, to see what, what, what your background is in some other ways. Here's what the church checks. Do you follow Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? If you have, you're in the church. Now, that doesn't mean you're in the building. You can come in the building and not be a follower of Jesus, right? You can come in here and sing songs with us and listen to, I hope, God-honoring preaching, right? And you can, you can do all those things and not be a follower of Jesus. You can do that for years and years and years and not be a follower of Jesus. But the church, as in God's people, are those who have put their faith and their, and their trust in him. What is the one thing that unifies the church? Is it race? Nope. Is it adherence to Old Testament law? Nope. Is it your status in society? No. It's Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and risen to new life. And our identity with him. You are the church, the people of God, the family of God. The church, if we had to define it, I, w- I would say it's this. It's a people belonging to Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's a people belonging to Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. If you're going to be in the church, if you're going to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I've committed my life to Jesus, you got to dress right. Now, it has nothing to do with my, my suit coat, right? So clear. Always be dressed as the church. Always be dressed as the church. As a matter of fact, that's kind of what Paul begins to talk about with, with the church at Colossae here. How we, how we dress says something about us, right? I mean, if, you're, if it's a weekday and somebody is wearing a suit, depending on, on the location and context, you might assume, hey, that must be a business person. Or they're on their way to a funeral, right? Or something, like you'll associate the way they dress with something they're doing or something about them. If, if you see somebody, you know, wearing Carhartt top to bottom, you might start to think, you know what, that's probably, they either live a blue-collar lifestyle and just really love Carhartt, or maybe they need that for their work. It might give you some clues as to what they do. They have a, a blue-collar kind of job. They work with their hands in some way. They might be work outside or something like that. You know, you begin to, you can look at a person and the way they dress, and like it or not, and you can say, well, we shouldn't do that, John. Okay, try not doing it. I dare you. Because we all do. You just make assumptions about people based on how they dress, right? I mean, it's, you know, all of a sudden they, they're, they're wearing, you know, Nike, Nike uh, basketball shoes and, and, and Nike shorts that are basketball short length, right? And, and, and they have like, uh, you know, Golden State Warriors on their shirt or something like that, you know, a good team. Uh, or the Nuggets, or the Nuggets, just relax. And, and, and you might look at them and go, they really love basketball. And maybe they even play it. They're dressed like they're going to, to play basketball, right? Like you, you make assumptions about because of the way people dress. 
Well, Paul says here that we need to dress right. We need to be dressed as the church. But what we dress with, it's not about putting on a suit coat on Sunday morning. I don't care if you wear a t-shirt or a tank top or like that doesn't, I don't care. Right? Like I said, I just wear this because I'm cold. I'll probably have it off next service. It gets warmer as the day goes on. Right? It's not about that. It's about the characteristics of your life. It's about how you live a Christ-centered life. That's what Paul's talking about here. Verse 5 says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off. Did you hear that language? That sounds like, like undressing, right? Taking off your old self with its practices and have what? Put on, that sounds like dressing, the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. My son Joe had some friends over at, the, at, a, at our house yesterday. A lot of them were from his baseball team and, and uh, a lot of them are going to be here on the 27th. So y'all be nice to them, all right? And uh, anyways, so he had some friends over. One of his, one of his best friends lately is, is a kid named Isaac, and his, his parents, um, they go to a different church and things like that, but he'd been over, and I don't know, something was on his shirt. My wife noticed because she's a mom, right? Moms notice these things. And, and, and Isaac's mom, they go to church on Saturday night, or at least yesterday, yesterday they did. And, and, so, and so his mom's coming to pick him up to take him to church. And, uh, and my wife, of course, notices that his shirt's dirty. And so what does she do? Moms, what does she do? Well, she, washing it's a good option. We didn't have time for that. What's the other option? Change it, right? Another, she goes downstairs to Joe's closet, finds a couple of shirts, brings them up, right? And says, Isaac, you need to pick one of these shirts to put them on. Why? Because your shirt's dirty. But he's a middle schooler, right? So he's like, so? <laughs> you smell. So? I'm a middle schooler. Anyways, sorry. I love you all middle schoolers. You guys are great. Right? So she's like, she's like, no, you have to change. You're going to church. You have to change. I just want you to have a clean shirt. It wasn't like it was a, a button-up shirt. It was just a t-shirt, you know, long sleeve and a short sleeve. Pick one. And she dresses him for church, right? Here's the thing. The point is this, that when we have a dirty shirt and, you know, we're done working on the car, however it got dirty, what, what do we do? We take it off, right? And we put on a clean one. When we have lived a life, when we have lived in a fallen world and it's infected our life, as Romans 3 talks about, all sin fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one who seeks God, right? Romans 3, like there's a whole list of those kinds of things, right? In other words, sin has affected us, and it's made our shirt dirty. So what do we do? We take it off. What do we put on? The clothes of the church. We put on the clothes of the church. But the text goes on because it's not just about what we take off. It's about what we put on. So verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful that the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. There are things we don't wear and things we do wear. 
As followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We ought to be thankful, right? We ought to let the message of Christ dwell among us richly. These are the things we wear as followers of Jesus Christ. These are the clothes we put on. And there's, there's more characteristics that we didn't read. We dress like we're the church. We dress like they're the church. The peace of Christ, thankfulness, the message of Christ, wisdom, psalms, hymns, songs, singing, gratitude. Right? These are the clothes we wear day in and day out. When there is anger and malice in the church, we must repent. We take it off. When there is sin in the church, we must repent. We take it off. When our evil desires, greed, and so on, and they have no place in the church, we take those things off. We, we seek forgiveness from God, and he grants it because he is a good God, and he is faithful, and he does that. But the greatest of all of these things, and you've heard it before, is what? Love greatest is love verse 14 and over all these virtues put on what say it love which binds them all together in perfect unity in perfect what unity man we struggle with this don't we we do we struggle with this this is hard Paul is describing the way the church ought to be, but can we be honest? We're not always that way, are we? Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we don't love each other well. So what should we do? Repent and start loving, right? Sometimes, sometimes we, we, we don't. We, you, you go to some churches and, and you find anger and you find malice and you, and you find some of these things and it's, you, you find gossip and backbiting and, and all kinds of things and, 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 it, and it infects the church. Why? Because we're fallen people and we live in a fallen world. So what should we do? Repent. Seek forgiveness. First from God and then from whoever else we need to seek forgiveness from, right? Because why? Because we love one another. We love one another. The greatest of these is love. Now, I don't know how much time you spend with people who aren't in the church, uh, kind of evaluate from the outside of the church, but I bet, you, I bet if you were to spend very much time with them, they would say some things like this. Yeah, the church is full of hypocrites, right? Or, you know, they have some experience where they've experienced a, a church split where there's division and there's backbiting and there's, and there's people in the church who, who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and they don't treat each other well. Repent from that. Because why in the world would the, would, would the rest of the world be attracted to that? Why would that be something that they go, wow, I want to be in a place where they're backbiting and saying bad things about other churches? Can I just... Man, we need to be careful with our language, don't we? We be careful that we don't say negative things about other churches. The thing about all these virtues, and especially love, is that they must be lived out in community. We can't, live, we can't love if we don't have someone to love and someone to love us in return, right? We need each other. We need community. There's no such thing as a, you know, people who say, well, I, I follow Jesus, I just don't go to church. I'm like, no, 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 no. Because if you follow Jesus, you'd be at church. Because the church is the bride of Christ. Because the author of Hebrews tells us not to give up meeting together. No, if you follow Jesus, you'll be at church. You go to church. 
all these things that we talk about, they got to be lived out in community. They require a one another. They require a being together. They require an encouraging one another, a holding of account towards one another, an encouraging of one another, a lifting up one another in love of, in, in the love of Christ. All, in order to live this out, we need to have community. That's why one of our core values here at Grace is growth in community. Kent Hughes, commentator, when commenting on this passage, says this, Christians become better Christians in community, in their families, among their associates, in their dorms, in their churches, where there is sweat and breath. We need each other. The church is you, and it's me, and it's us together. Here's the reality and and, and the message that I want you all to take home this morning. When you are part of the church, you dress appropriately with love that produces unity. People are attracted to that. People like that. When they see people loving each other and encouraging each other and, 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 and lifting each other up, investing in each other's lives, when they, when they see us together as a community, they, they like that. When, when they see us honoring God together, it's attractive to them. They may come and not like the music. They may come and not even like the preaching. They may come and not even like the chairs or the paint. I don't know, whatever it is. They don't like the breakfast burritos. That's probably not possible. But anyways, you know, they, whatever it is, right? The coffee's not very good or what, I, I don't care, whatever, right? They, they, but if they see us loving one another, people are attracted to that. The church is attractive when there's an atmosphere of love and unity, when people do everything for the glory of God. When the church, you and I, look just like everyone else, it's not attractive. It just blends in. When the church stands out and offers the kind of love exemplified by the head of the church, by Jesus Christ, then it is attractive because it is counter to culture. If they want everything else the culture offers, they'll get it from culture. The church has to be different has to be counter-cultural. In 2014, NBC published a story about David Wise, the Olympic half-pipe gold medalist. Here's the headline. The headline was, David Wise's alternative lifestyle leads to Olympic gold. David was counter-cultural. You know what his alternative lifestyle is? He was a faithful and loving husband, a faithful and loving father. He loved Jesus Christ, and he went to church. That was his alternative lifestyle. And they talk about how he goes to the Olympics and wins gold, and and they're so focused on this because the world thinks that's weird. They think it's weird to be faithfully love your, your husband or your wife. They, th- they think it's weird to be so committed to your family life. They think it's weird to go to church on Sunday. They think it's, it's, it's weird to live a virtuous and godly life. They think those things are weird, and yet that's exactly what we must do as a church. Because if we look just like everybody else, then we offer nothing. When the people who are the church dress like the church, wearing love and unity, the world can't help but notice. I want to go back. I didn't read it. I want to go back and read it. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. A familiar passage to many of you. It says this. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. In other words, they were the what? The church. And then listen to this next phrase. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Man, being the church is hard work. It is. Especially for all you, because you've got to forgive people like me sometimes. And I've got to forgive you. And I've got to love you. And you've got to love me. And, 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 and you've got to love the people next to you. And you've got to love the people in your life group. And, and you've got you've to put on the, the clothes of the church. And you've got to go to work. And guess what you have to do with the people at, at your work? Guess what you've got to do? Come on. Love them, Right? Love them like they're image bearers of Jesus Christ, because they are. They are image bearers of God. They deserve your love for that reason alone. It doesn't matter what they've done, what they've said. It doesn't matter, because we're the church. And we need to put on the clothes and act like the church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, you are good and gracious. And Lord, I just thank you so much for your love for us.